Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to a very special episode of the Spoken Gospel Podcast. So special because David is coming at you hot and live <laughs> from the stage of his local church. Yeah, Bridgeway Church. Uh, they we, we did like a year-long reading plan with them about beholding and becoming Jesus in the Gospels. And they asked me to kind of cap off the year with a sermon about beholding and becoming. So I got to preach from one of my favorite passages, And you'll Corinthians. get to hear me reading the scriptures. That's right. I had yes. an important role to play. You did. But I, Seth was there alongside me, yeah. uh, kind of talking about the impact we saw on that yeah. reading plan and everything. So that was super fun. It was fun to be with you back at back at Bridgeway for a, a quick, was a fun, quick yeah. minute. So uh, that's the only introduction we need, I think I guess. so. <laughs> yeah, happy belated Valentine's Day. Yeah, if you have if you, someone you love... Yes. You better have sent them a car. <laughs> I hope so. If not, it might be too late. <laughs> it might be too late. But we love you guys. So, so consider this our Valentine to you. <laughs> but seriously, talking at you yet again. I do think this is a cool uh, thing to offer because in it, I kind of get to lay down a biblical basis for why spoken gospel exists yeah. and why we do what we do. And so uh, for those of you who kind of wonder where spoken gospel came from, what some of the underlying theology is of our hermeneutic, how we understand the Bible. Uh, this sermon will illustrate some of that, not all of yeah. it, but some of it. And yeah. so I'm excited to share that. Uh, you got to sit in the sermon. I did. What I listened you, to the first version of the sermon. That's right. This is no. not the version you heard. This is the second one after you improved it after yeah, it, with yeah. some good notes. As an Enneagram one. Just that's right. Came in with my editor in chief hat on. Yeah. Is there anything you're particularly excited for our, our audience to hear? No, I'm just, ex I think with you, like after we did the uh, Road to Emmaus um, podcast, podcast yeah. like, this is why we do what we do. Yeah. And it's fun to talk about why we do what we do. It so is. I'm excited for yeah. everybody to hear that. Well, great. Um, thank you all for listening. I hope you stay tuned and listen to this sermon um, and we will see you next week. Today's reading is on page 965 of your pew Bibles, but it's our chair Bibles, I guess. And it's from 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12 to 4, 6. And it says, this is what the Word of God says. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is the veil taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, like our friend here told us a little while ago. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry... By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. Has shown in... Let me say that again. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is God's word to us. You may be seated. I'm sure every Christian has had this experience. And if you haven't, you're going to make me feel really alienated. Um, but I'm sure you've probably had some, some experience kind of like this. You come to the Bible, you open it up, you read a passage, and maybe you even get something from it. You get a takeaway. Um, but you leave feeling the same way and looking the same way that you felt and that you looked like when you came to the Bible. You walk away untransformed, kind of unmoved, kind of like, well, I I did the Bible thing. I guess I'll go on with my day. Am I alone? I'm alone. Great. (laughs) Then there's no need to preach the sermon because you all are doing it perfectly. Congratulations. (laughs) Are you guys going to be with me this morning? All right. Thank you. Now, oh, that was great. Thank you. Okay. So why is it? Why is it that we come to our Bibles, we read them and we walk away kind of unmoved and untransformed well, it could be because the Bible's a really difficult book. Uh, there, there are many barriers between us and the Bible to our understanding of what the Bible says. There are time barriers. There are language barriers. There are cultural barriers. Uh, we, we have different worldviews than the ones who wrote the Bible. We have a different set of shared stories than the original audience of the Bible. We use different literary styles to communicate than those who wrote the Bible. I mean, when's the last time you picked up a good uh, book of like um, apocryphal literature? Anybody read books about future coming beasts or anything lately or write that down in your prayer journal? Just one. See, great. 
But we, we kind of have a different set of stories than, than the Bible. So we have to jump over those barriers. And, and now I'm not arguing against what some theologians have called the perspicuity of Scripture, which is a fancy kind of pointless way of saying that the Bible's clear. It's kind of ironic that the, a word to communicate clarity. <laughs> it's called perspicuity, which makes me perspire just trying to say it. But I'm not arguing that the Bible's not clear I believe anybody in the world can come to the Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit and be transformed by it and understand it. But there is a barrier that's not a physical one like the ones I've detailed. There is, and we're going to see it in this text, a spiritual barrier that this text calls a veil that lies over human hearts and prevents them from seeing something in the Bible. And that something that they're prevented from seeing in the Bible is the glory of God. And the glory of God, and we're going to see how in just a second, is the only thing in the Bible that can actually transform you. So the reason why you might not have a transformative experience when you read your Bible is because you are not beholding the glory of God when you read it. But for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, that veil, that spiritual barrier has actually been removed it does not exist for those of us who are in Christ. Yet, I fear that this gift of God removing the spiritual barrier between us and the Bible, I fear that this gift is numbered among the many blessings God has given his children that we do not regularly open. The greatest barrier between the Christian and the Bible has been removed, but many of us won't cross the threshold to see what Jesus has so graciously given us. So my job today is to invite those who will to come and behold the glory of Jesus in the pages of his word. Sound good? Amen. Okay. So what's on the line for us here? What's on the line with, with coming to our Bibles? Why, why does this really matter? Well, what's, what's on the line is not that we won't understand scripture, that we won't get its story or its data or its details. That's not what's on the line for us here. What's, what's on the line is encountering the glory of God. What's on the line is beholding the face of Jesus and ultimately being transformed into his same glorious image. That's what's on the line is our transformation as Christians, our ability to see God in the Bible. What's on the line is actually the purpose for which we were created. You see, we were created to bear God's image, to walk with him, to become like him. That was the purpose for Adam and Eve being put in the Garden of Eden. And from the beginning, it's been Satan's scheme to disrupt our journey to become like God. Remember, his first scheme was to come to, to Eve and say, oh, hey, if you eat this, this fruit of the tree, you will be like God. That should have been a dumb temptation because they were already in God's image, right? He made them in God's image, and then Satan's saying, oh, you can be like God. And it was like, Eve should have just said, I am, right? But instead, he's not talking about being like the God who made her. He was talking about being some other kind of God, a God made in her own image, a God that sets herself up apart from God, a God who doesn't need God, a God who could be God herself. And so all along, Satan has been trying to stop us from becoming like God. And at the fall, we were corrupted, sin came into the world, and we became less and less like God. In fact, uh, we're told that Adam's sons, who he progenated after him, 
were made in his image, in Adam's image. The image of man started to dominate the world, and the glory of God dissipated from us. But 2 Corinthians is all about getting it back, (laughs) getting back the glory of God so we might bear his glory, his image in fullness. So what's the context in 2 Corinthians? Um, I actually set out to write that, and we were going to have a longer scripture reading. I know some of you are thinking longer than that, yes. Um, But the context is quite difficult to get into, and I ended up writing an entire sermon that was only focused on the context. So I had to throw that away and give you this light version. So here's the context of 2 Corinthians. Paul is trying to prove the validity of his gospel and his authority over a church in Corinth that he planted. And he's trying to do that because new false teachers have arisen in this church, and they are trying to lead the congregants astray. And so Paul is trying to win back his people's trust. And his argument that he uses is is to say like, okay, put the false teacher's teachings up on one side, put my teachings about the gospel up on the other side. Which one transformed your heart? Which one changed you? Well, that's the one that you should trust. And his point is that it was him and his gospel about the Jesus who fulfills the old covenant that has utterly transformed their hearts. And so I want to invite us to do what he was calling the second Corinthians or the second Corinthians, the Corinthians to do in second Corinthians. (laughs) That's silly. And that is to listen to Paul, to listen to his words, to come under his teaching and let what he's trying to show us transform us. So to that end, let's pray. God, we're going to see in these pages that we cannot behold you without the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't see you unless you reveal yourself to us. So Lord, show us your glory. Let us behold you today as we sit under your word, as we worship, as we open our Bibles, and let us become transformed into your image from one degree of glory to the next. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul begins his, uh, kind of the end of his argument here in kind of a strange place. Uh, He compares himself to Moses. He says that I will be bold, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses. I thought we were supposed to like be like the good characters in the Bible. I just think it's funny. So he says, we're very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face. He's saying, I'm going to be bold so that I can share the glory of Jesus with everyone who will come. Well, why is he comparing himself to Moses? Well, because that is exactly what Moses did not do. Paul wants to share the glory of Jesus. Moses hid the glory of Jesus. And he's referring back to a story in Exodus. You see, remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai in the glory cloud of God, and God was speaking to him and giving him the Ten Commandments and the law and the covenant? Well, while while all that was happening, Moses, I think, prayed one of the most audacious prayers in the entire Bible. He said to God, show me your glory. He wanted to see the glory of God. And I'm like, when I read that, I'm like, dude, you're in the glory cloud of God. You're hearing his voice. There's thunder clapping all around you. The Israelites below are terrified. Is this not enough glory for you to behold? And I think what Moses is getting at because of the way God responds is this. Moses wanted to see God's face. He wanted to see God eye to eye, face to face. No mediation, no diminution, not through a veil. He wanted to see God himself. 
But God said, fulfilling such a request would kill Moses. And so God creatively came up with a new solution. He placed Moses behind a rock that had a small crack in it, the cleft of the rock, and God passed all his glory by Moses. But the text says something really interesting. It says that he saw, Moses saw God's backside. He did not see his face. It's going to be really important for Paul's argument here. He saw his backside, but not his face. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the amazing sight that Moses beheld. I mean, he hit the deck as soon as God's glory passed by. And when he looked up, he didn't even know it, but his face was shining with the same glory that he just beheld. The glory that he saw, he started to bear on his own skin, right? He came down off the mountain and people were like freaked out because he had the glory of God shining and emanating from his face. Uh, you could think of it maybe like a, a sunbather, right, who, who goes out and lets their skin behold the glory of the sun, right? And then it becomes like it. It becomes what the skin beholds. That's what happened to Moses. He became what he beheld. Is this ringing a bell with the whole beholding and becoming thing? That's where this comes from. He became what he beheld. Or think of it like, um, like a child who, who becomes like their father that they behold, uh, although some of us might not want our kids to become like us. Uh, I'm reminded of, of my, my oldest son, Ezra. Uh, he started saying, uh, yoo-hoo, when he wanted to get my attention. And has, has anyone ever seen Frozen? And it's like the, the, Oaken, the old Oaken shopkeeper. He's like, yoo-hoo, big summer blowout. And I'm like, where did you get this? We don't watch Frozen. Like, we're not, I'm, I'm not against Frozen. Let it go. You know, it's, uh, but... <laughs> Uh, but I'm like, where did you pick this up? I'm like, I don't say that. Why would I say that? And we're at a Mexican restaurant and we're leaving and we have Eli here in tow and we're trying to get out of the restaurant and Ezra starts walking off to the side and I'm trying to get his attention and I go, yoo-hoo, buddy. And I'm like, oh, I say this on a regular basis and I'm not even aware of it. And my son has become what he has beheld, right? This is how we work. Or think of it like dyeing a piece of cloth, Right? You submerse it in a huge pool, and then you bring it out. And the white cloth starts to take on the color that it beholds while it's immersed. And the more dips in and out of the pool that it takes, the more color it takes on. The point being made is simple. Moses became what he beheld. When he beheld the image of God, he became like the image of God. He was transformed. Um, a little bit of the Garden of Eden was starting to sneak back into the world as Moses was restoring God's image in his body. But when the people of Israel, down below the mountain, saw Moses' shining face, they were afraid. And so Moses, not being very bold, hid the glory of God under a veil. Exodus tells us that he put a veil over his face, or like a hood over his face to keep people from seeing the glory of God. This is really important for you to get for the context of 2 Corinthians here. The, the veil that exists is there for one purpose, and it is to keep you from seeing the glory of God. That's why it was there. And, and I just wonder, like, if Moses hadn't have put that veil over his face, if he had have just let the glory of God shine out, would the Israelites have started to look like the glory of God too by beholding it in Moses? Like, I don't know. There's no way to know that. But we'll never know because he hid it, which kind of brings up a sad and sober point also to this story, which is you cannot become like God unless you behold God. 
I think all of us want to still listen to the serpent in the garden lying to us that there are other ways to become like God. He's like, oh, just eat this fruit. Eve, you can do it yourself. Just know good and evil well enough, and you'll, do, you'll be a perfect person, and you can be God, and you can know all, and you can be the Lord of your own universe. And it's like the God of the universe was behind her. And he's just saying, just turn around and look at him. That's the only thing you need if you want to become in, like, made in his image is to behold him. But skin will never tan if it's not exposed to UV light. A child will not act like a father whom he does not know. A piece of cloth will not take on the color of a pool in which it is not submersed. We must behold God if we are ever to become like God. So the question must be asked then, how? How do we behold God in order to become like God? Are we supposed to do what Moses did? Like, do we find some remote mountain out in the wilderness and climb up it and fast for 40 days and then ask God to manifest his glory before our eyes and hide in the cleft of the rock and then be transformed? I mean, if you want to give it a shot, by all means, go for it. I would not advise a 40-day fast unless the Holy Spirit has explicitly told you you might die. But Paul says there is an easier way, a simpler way. Paul says that in order to behold the glory of God... We must do what the Israelites should have done. You see, for them, the glory of God came to them in the face of Moses, but they put a veil over his face. And Paul says that the glory of God has once again come to us in Moses, and we must not veil it. God's glory comes to us in Moses, but we must not veil it. And some of you might be thinking, how has God's glory come to us in Moses? It's kind of a strange thing to say. Well, what Paul's talking about here is not a person, but the writings of Moses, not the, not the, the character, the, the living person of Moses, but the things that Moses wrote down. As it was when Moses came off the mountain and the glory was shining off of his person, now the glory of God has come through the pen of Moses in what we know as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, and we can see it when we read his writings. That's why Paul is so quickly able to switch from talking about this huge moment that Moses had on the mountain with God to the writings of Moses. In 3.14, it says, when you read the Old Covenant. In 3.15, it says, whenever Moses is read. And you see in the early church, the writings of Moses, that, that saying was a shorthand way of referring to all the Hebrew scriptures. We carry a similar tradition with us today. Paul says it's the Old Covenant. We use the same word, testament. Old Testament and covenant mean the same thing. And, and, and so Paul is not referring just to the commands of Moses or the words of Moses or just the book of Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy. Uh, he is referring to the entire Holy Spirit-inspired corpus of God's word that we today call the Bible. He is saying that the whole Bible is shining with the glory of God and it's ready to be held by us so that we might become like God. Paul is saying that we can cleft open our Bibles, if you will, and behold God's glory like Moses did. And we can become like God as we were meant to back in the Garden of Eden. But, as with all good stories, there's conflict. There's a problem that exists that Paul points out. Paul says that the same veil that Moses put over his face to hide the glory of God still remains today unlifted. It's, it's, it's no longer a physical veil that blocks a person's face, but a spiritual veil that blocks 
people's hearts. The veil isn't blocking, like I've said earlier, the story or the details of Scripture or the, the meaning of Scripture or the structure of Scripture or the moral teachings of Scripture. All of these are there, ready for you to find and behold by anyone who would look. The veil is blocking not people's understandings, not their minds. The veil is blocking having a real encounter with the glory of God. The veil is blocking people's hearts. And in 4.4, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says that that veil is being put there by the God of this world, whom we know as Satan. He's up to his old tricks again. We're on a journey to become like God, and he is putting up a blockade once again, just like he did in the Garden of Eden, keeping us from seeing the glory of God. The veil lies over human hearts. So then, how is the veil removed? Well, Paul, in chapter 3.14, says this, only through Christ is the veil taken away. Only Jesus removes the veil. Paul explains what he means then by referencing the rest of the story of Moses in the book of Exodus. You see, he references the one place in the story of Exodus where Moses takes the veil off. There's only one place in the story where Moses removes the veil, and it's when Moses would go into the tent of meeting. It was this tent outside the camp of Israel where he would go to pray with God, and God's glory would descend upon him, and he would commune with God and talk to him, the Bible says, as one man talks to another. And that's when he would remove the veil. When he turned to the Lord, he would take the veil off to be in the Lord's presence. And so that is his argument, that when we turn to Jesus, the veil is removed by the Spirit. Uh, chapter three, fourteen to 17, uh, I'll just read it for you here. Their minds were hardened. He's talking about those who are not seeing the glory of Jesus. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to do what? That verse gets quoted a lot. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. freedom. Freedom to do what? To behold Jesus in the Bible. The Holy Spirit comes to us and opens our eyes and moves on our hearts to behold Jesus in the Bible. Paul is saying that for everyone who has put their trust in Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit, the spiritual barrier between you and the Bible is gone. It's taken away. Your minds are no longer hardened. Your eyes are no longer blind. The Holy Spirit gives you the freedom to behold the glory of God and become like him. So why is it then that when we open our Bibles, so many of us still walk away untransformed? I believe it is because though the veil has been lifted, we are still not beholding. Though the barrier has been removed, we are not passing through. Though the door has been opened, we are not entering. And I think it's because we are often trying to behold the wrong things in the Bible. Paul says that, when the veil between a human heart and the Bible is removed, we should be beholding the face of Jesus. So when a Christian comes to the Bible, the first thing that they should see and the first thing they should be seeking to see is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in their Bibles. 
But for many of us, that's not even what we're looking for. That's not even what's on our brains. Like going, That's not the narrative that we approach the scriptures with. It's not the prayers we pray whenever we come to the Bible. We're not even in this category. We're like standing before a wide open door that Jesus has opened, and we don't even know that we should be trying to walk through. Now, I think we come to the Bible with a lot of good things, and I don't want to diminish any of those things that we come to the Bible with. We might come to the Bible looking for the commands of God so that we might live our lives by them. That is good. Do that. We, we might be coming to, to, to the Bible looking for the examples of the godly so that we might pattern our lives after them. Good. Do that. We, we might be looking for theological depths in the Bible so that we might understand and know God and his workings better. Good. Please do that. We, we are looking for a number of glorious good things when we come to the Bible, but Paul says there is one thing that eclipses all of them. Paul says that the glory of God that Moses beheld has been eclipsed by another glory. Because Moses was beholding God in the old covenant, the covenant of the law, where you are looking for those commands and that way to live your life and those, those godly examples that God is calling you to. But he says that it, it's been eclipsed by a new and better glory. Will you pull up that 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 11 here? Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? You guys get perspicuity of Scripture, right? It's super clear. I, you don't need... No, no. Paul has some long sentences. What he's saying is he's saying that the ministry of death is his, is his shorthand for the old covenant law uh, because you couldn't earn life through it. You could only earn death. So there's this ministry of death and it was carved in letters of stone and it came with so much glory, right? The glory of the Old Testament, the glory of the old covenant, the glory of the law is so glorious that when Moses beheld it and heard the words of God, his face started to shine. Paul is not diminishing the glory of the old covenant. He's just saying that covenant was a covenant of death and that covenant is being brought to an end. It's fading away. So how much more glorious then must be the new covenant of Jesus that lasts forever and is administered by the spirit and doesn't diminish but grows from one degree of glory to another. What he's saying is that, that the, the, the glory that accompanied the old covenant with Moses is, is just eclipsed by the new covenant that is brought through Jesus. Um, it would be kind of like lighting a match in a dark room. Imagine you're in a completely dark room and you light a match and all of a sudden there's light and that match is illuminating the room around you and there are dark chairs and things in the corner you didn't even know were there and now you can dimly see them by the light of that match and that match is good when you're in the dark. But then imagine someone comes in and flips on all the electric lights that are in the room is your match really doing the work of illuminating the room anymore? No. It's been eclipsed. It's not saying that it's pointless or that it's not bright or that it's not good. It's saying that what has now come is so much better. Can you even imagine what Paul is saying here? He is, he is saying that the glory of Jesus is so great that encountering him would utterly eclipse what Moses saw on Mount Sinai. I mean, put yourself in Moses' shoes for a second and just try to picture what he saw in the backside of God's glory that transformed his face. And no one has had that experience. Like, that's amazing. And he's saying, it's, it's like Moses was in the dark. 
compared to what it's like seeing Jesus. Oh man, that was so good. And, and so, I, I mean, this led me to ask the question, how's it even possible? Like, how's it even possible? Like, because I can't say, put my the- theologian hat on, I can't say that Jesus' glory is better than God's glory. Jesus is God. They're co-equal. So it can't be that he just shines brighter than God. That can't be it. So, so what, what's going on here that makes such an eclipse even possible? We read about it in the last verse that Seth read for us in chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's quoting Genesis 1. That same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So here's the, the glory of God. Here it is. It's coming. Where is it? In the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see what's happening here? Did Moses get to see the face of God? No. He saw the backside of the glory of God. But in the new covenant, we actually are being invited to come back into the Garden of Eden. It's like to see God face to face. And Jesus is the face of God. He is the fullness of God, the exact representation of his being, Scripture says. And we get to behold his face in the new covenant. It's such good news. But Paul is not just making a comparison between the glory of the old covenant and the glory of the new covenant. He's also saying that the new covenant fulfills the old covenant. Paul is saying that insofar as you do not see how Jesus fulfills the old covenant, you're reading your Bible with a veil on. He's saying you're reading the Bible like an unfinished story. You're not getting its point. If you come to to, to read the Old Testament and you just walk away being like, man, I want to be brave like David. You've missed the point. Jesus is the new and better David. The, the, we're going to see how he's, the, he's David's root as we, as we worship today. Like, if you don't get to that point, you're, you're, you're allowing that veil to, to be there, even though it's been taken away. Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the old covenant. And, and so, if, if we let anything else become our driving motivation or, or the thing we're looking for when we come to our Bibles, other than beholding the person of Jesus and what he's accomplished for us on the cross, then, then we are reading our Bibles like we have the veil back on, and we will miss the most glorious thing. And so, I, I just don't want us to read our Bibles like the veil remains, even though it has been lifted. And so, I would like Paul's words in chapter 3, verse 18 to compel you to come and read your Bible like Paul is begging us to, with the veil removed. He says this, and we all, all is a really important word there. Some of all Christians, you might think you're disqualified from this or that the veil is still over your heart. Let me tell you, that veil that lies over people's hearts to keep them from seeing the glory of God in Scripture, that's the same veil that keeps them from seeing Jesus as glorious at all. If you have seeing Jesus as good and put, put your trust in him, that veil is gone. All, we all with unveiled face, we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed. He's hearkening back to Moses. He's like, this happened at Moses. When he beheld the glory of God, he became like the glory. As we are beholding the glory of God with unveiled faces, we are being transformed into what? In, into like, oh, like a kind of a worse version of Jesus. 
No. Let this offend you if it needs to, but read the words. We are being transformed into the same image that we're beholding. The same image of the glory of God that we behold, we get to become. That is just such good news. You know it's good. You know the Bible is good news when it's offensive, like it feels wrong. That's when you know, like it's like, oh, it's just too good. Like whenever Jesus looks over at the, the thief on the cross who's just done nothing but mess up his whole life and says one nice thing, he's like, great, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's like, hold on. That can't be, that's too good. This is one of those t- texts for me. I'm like, I mean, not the same image, but yeah. I'm not saying we become God. That's not the point. That was Satan's temptation, was to become God. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about being like him, being his child, being a son and a daughter, not the father. Make sense? Okay. When we behold the glory of God, we are becoming into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I love that part because I, even in my best Bible study moments, when I'm just feeling like, oh, there's Jesus, he's so good, he saved me, like I've never seen him quite in this light before, and I feel like my heart comes alive, and then I walk away, and I'm just like maybe .0000001% better than I was a week ago. And I'm like, I'm so glad that it's not a one-and-done experience. You know, like, that's what kept me from reading my Bible and praying so often. It's just like, I don't know. I just wasn't as changed as I wanted to be. But it's from one degree of glory to the next. It's this incremental sanctification that is happening as we continue to behold Jesus like that cloth being dunked over and over again in its dye. It will continue to take on the color of that which it is submersed in. And so this can happen to our our hearts, as we behold the glory of Jesus. We can start to have little mini gardens of Eden. Every time we open our Bibles, we can walk with God and talk with God and behold God face to face in Jesus and start to unwork all of the deformation that we underwent in the fall. And what's amazing is it doesn't happen one time. It happens again and again as we behold Jesus. You see, Moses His face, when he saw the glory of God and it shone, it was being brought to an end. It faded away. He had the experience, and then it faded. It's not so with Jesus. We behold Jesus, and then the opposite happens. The the glory grows. We, We look more and more like Jesus, on and on, for eternity. We will never stop growing in our, like, our, our, our confirmation with the image of Jesus being put on us all throughout eternity. I mean, I can't imagine who I'll be in two billion years up in heaven. It'd be amazing. No one cares about that, apparently. <laughs> Y'all need to get more excited about heaven. Uh, Tyler, can we bring the worship team back up as we close here? Thank you. Um, I want to just invite us to do, uh, to do something real quick. Uh, and I could, I could make a list much longer than this, as I'm sure all of you could too. But what I'm asking you to do when you come to your Bible is not, not even do what we just did, which was like, what's the, what's the point? What's it saying? You know, all that. Uh, but to behold the good news of Jesus in it. And there's so much good news in here. I, I wrote down four, but we all could probably keep going. The good news that Paul presents is we can see God's face in Jesus. 
This is such good news. What Moses longed to behold and asked for on Mount Sinai, what our hearts most deeply longed to see, we get to marvel at in Christ. We're no longer shut out, hiding behind a rock, cowering beneath a mountain. We can behold Jesus. We can also be transformed from one degree of glory to another. That is such good news. I love that good news because it means I'm not stuck in my brokenness anymore. I'm not fated to always struggle with the same sin and the same temptations and the same weight that is always seeming to be on me, but that I know that as I behold Jesus, it might not happen overnight, but from one degree of glory to the next, I will be transformed. You can behold Jesus and you don't have to be stuck in your brokenness anymore. We can be like God is, is also good news. That we don't have to be, uh, we don't have to buy the lie of the serpent in the garden. That we could become our own God. That we could rule ourselves because we all know how that goes. Pretty terribly. But we can become like God. And also that we can just behold Jesus. The most beautiful thing that's ever been. We can behold. And guys, we, we don't just behold Jesus in scripture. Though that is a wonderful place to do it. We can behold Jesus in prayer we throw ourselves on his provision. We can behold Jesus as I look out and we all look out around the body of believers that his blood is purchased and we can behold Jesus when we come and worship him and behold him. So I invite you all to come, behold your savior, be transformed by what you see. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.